thinking three again. Missed one a few moments ago. There it is, and down it goes for his first NBA hoop. I don't want to call it today, you know, I just made it rain. Hold me back, fam! A below average three-point shooter. There's Simmons. I got 50 biscuits. How's it going, everyone? Welcome back to the PickSwap Podcast. It's a beautiful day here in Philadelphia. I'm sure it's nice and writing as well. Um, it's the second day of March Madness. So there's a lot going on today in the basketball world, and it feels like the Sixers and, and the NBA is kind of secondary for this weekend and, and probably the rest of this month. Uh, but me and Sean are back today to talk a little Sixers action for you. Sean, how you doing today, brother? Yes, sir. It's the best basketball time in the year. So yeah. uh, Christmas season out here, the way games are popping off. So I love the tournament. been watching heavy. Uh, Always good to just my favorite time of year for basketball in general. So very cool, but still got to get through the Sixers grind. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, before we get too far, we want to talk about March Madness. We want to talk about your favorite place to bet. Yeah. Talk about BetUS, leading sportsbook and casino in the in the country right now. We're super excited to be a part of them growing. They just added uh, player props, which we're super happy about. As you guys know, PickSwap Parlay, which we're going to got to start doing those again. Uh, but yeah. right now, I've been losing my money. Uh, on all the NCAA tournament stuff. So if you're looking to, to lose your money like me, go sign up and use our code PICKSWAP at sign up to get your first bet risk-free up to $500. That's our code PICKSWAP at login. I had a terrible day yesterday. Kentucky ruined my entire thing. I'm just Damn. miserable, just miserable. I needed. I had all these upsets. I had all the upsets going. I had Richmond. All I needed was Kentucky to win. Damn. And Kentucky, Kentucky of all the teams that I had in this parlay, minus four thousand. Yeah, in to overtime start. too. In, in overtime. OT to St. Peter. I've never even heard of St. Peter's, but <laughs> regardless. Uh, so the Sixers got back on track uh, with a W. Not a pretty one. Uh, definitely one. Uh, they made us sweat it out a little bit there against Cleveland. Um, so what did you see from that game? How are you feeling after they they get a little comeback win um, against the Cavs? Yeah, overall, I don't think I was upset about it, as I think a lot of people. I mean, the Cavs are a fairly legitimate team uh, on the road. Obviously, a tough stretch of games that they've been on in their schedule. I didn't expect Embiid to play. I was surprised he suited up. I thought that was going to be a rest game, especially after coming down on the back injury in the previous game, which was a, a scary fall there. So uh, I thought that was going to be one of the rest days. We've heard so much about the, the planned rest for Joel and James Harden, but either one of them has yet to take a game off since Doc has said all that. So I think we, I, I hope is coming up and there's a plan for that. Uh, I mean, the biggest story of the, the Cavs game specifically was just the four-headed monster of Embiid, Harden, Maxi, and Tobias. That was pretty much the whole Sixers team. They combined for 100 points. So the bench and Matisse in total combined for 18 other. That's a big positive and negative when you look at it because it's great yeah. that those guys are playing well. They all were fairly efficient, all had pretty good nights. Embiid, 13 of 19 from the field. Harden, 5 of 12. Maxi, 9 of 15. Toby, 8 of 13 and 3 of 6 from 3, which I love. But yeah. also, there just has to be more bench help. Like, the Sixers are not going to escape this playoff run without getting some contribution. And Georges Niang, who has been the only real impact player off the bench, uh, 1 for 6, 1 of 4 from 3. This is after the 2 of 12 night that ended so so brutally in that one. So they just got to find a way to get something out of this bench unit. Yeah, I so there's just been been this weird kind of paradox. Um, I've seen a lot of different opinions on Twitter recently. Uh, some people are, you know, obviously the benches is the weakness of this team. And it became a weakness very quickly yeah. uh, because it wasn't that way. We were talking about how deep this team was um, earlier in the season. And I don't I don't know if we, we need to beat the dead horse even more than we have in, in recent pods. But 
I mean, DeAndre Jordan, man, is just not playable. He's just yeah. not a playable big. And I can't, I really cannot fathom looking at that and saying he's the guy that we'd rather play over, you know, any of the other guys. Yeah. That, you know, the other three options at backup center that you have. Um, I can't believe that DeAndre Jordan is the guy that you picked. Um, but like, Shake has made two shots over his last like 70 minutes of play. Uh, Furkan is not even cracking the rotation anymore. Um, Isaiah Joe gets tossed in for five minutes. Danny Green, I don't know what he was doing the other night. Pa- just passing up too many, sh- like just passing up shots and then taking floaters or mid range pull up jumpers. It's like, yeah. if you're not shooting the three, uh, kick it because he nobody wants you to shoot that shot. Um, I don't even, I mean, George, the thing is with him right now is he's getting, he's basically playing like as, a hybrid like yeah. yeah he's kind of doing both um he's playing as a really important piece of the bench unit but he's also playing you know a lot of minutes with the starters in, in that unit and a lot of people are saying like oh uh the bench isn't getting enough minutes or you know these bench players aren't playing like literally i saw an article and i don't remember who it was i i have an idea of who it is but i don't want to you know say, say the wrong name me. but they were saying that the bench isn't playing enough together and i was like that's the what That's been our want. whole thing this whole yeah. time. It's like we don't want them to play together. Like the whole point is to mix them in. And I, I think the staggering of the rotation has kind of changed the way that you know it's it's been a little bit of a shakeup recently. And that's understandable for there to be struggles. Um, but the Sixers bench just doesn't have it like a I don't even know, a playmaker, but like just a guy that can get a bucket or you know, that can dominate the ball and you know, so I don't know. Uh, where do you think they go from here? Like, do you think they make a change at some, like some degree of change? I, there's not a lot they can do. Like I've heard, yeah. like the deadlines pass. The we can't sign. There's no buyout market or anything. You're pretty much grasping at straws if you're reaching for like an impact player at this point. For the most part, this is kind of the the evil we have to deal with. Uh, specifically talking about DeAndre Jordan, I I do think that is like the the biggest glaring weakness and it's even more frustrating when like watching like the highlights from the g league and bassy playing so well specifically and it's like like the guy could be there like and now granted like we're not there at practice we don't see what happens behind the scenes maybe he is not with it but at the same time it's like let's try like this is what we're, where we're at at this point in the season just trying to figure it out at least give him a shot give him a run out there and I've been since the Harden edition, uh, since the Harden trade, specifically talking about how Bassi is just like a perfect fit as far as what he does. And for this, this box to still remain unchecked for like if it's even a functional duo is pretty crazy to me. And it's it's especially crazy because it's to me evident at this point that DeAndre Jordan is not. He just simply does not have the legs left to be the guy. Like for a guy that is the all time leader in field goal percentage, he's shooting forty percent from the field, which is difficult to do now granted it's only five games but the guy doesn't shoot from outside like a four foot window so to be shooting like 40 percent from the field when all you're doing is attempting lobs and lay-ins is not not a good look whatsoever and i mean i i do see some like amir johnson-esque numbers coming in the playoffs if deandre jordan's the guy and from all looks for what doc says it seems like that's going to be the case and when talking about it as a unit just looking at like this five man there were 10 guys that were active in that Cavs game so five more like you said Furkan's pretty much out of the rotation at this point uh, it, that's Danny Green George Niang DeAndre Jordan Shake Milton and Isaiah Joe and Shake Shake played three minutes Isaiah Joe played four minutes but that five man rotation like that's not winning anything not that's not winning any minutes like you have to stagger these keep impact guys in I don't know what you do unit wise it's definitely a major concern and another guy like i would love to just like 
take a chance on is Charlie Brown Jr. again. Like, I get another guy that has limitations and stuff, but it's like that's at least another aspect. Like, I Doc just needs to get yeah, an athlete. Like, let's just get a little more creative and try some things. I think my personal read on it at this point is, is like, all right, this is not quite working. Let's try and do something different with the 14 games we have left before we head in these playoffs. And the Sixers have a lot of clicking that they still need to figure out and not a lot of time. Yeah. And again, like you said, be creative. I think, um, you know, when you think back to the, the Rockets days and James Harden was starting games with PJ Tucker playing center, like there's ways that he, they can figure it out. And he's such a smart basketball player. Uh, Harden is that I think like, I feel like you could genuinely roll Niang out of the five, or you could even roll Thibel out of the five for stretches yeah. of time to try to push pace, space the floor, make things difficult for the other team and, and do something different. I just don't know that Doc has that creative ability anymore. Like we talked about it last week. We, I think the game has, you know, it's past him. And the way that I see, you know, he's just so stubborn. I don't think he wants to do anything different. I think he's so locked into whatever he's done for however long is yeah. going to be the way to do it. Like, I don't know. I don't know how you don't look at Charles Bassey with, you know, his athletic ability, his rolling ability that he's proven in the NBA, not in the G League. In the short amount of time he's played in the NBA, we've seen fantastic stretches and, and really nice, uh, you know, instincts as a roller. Um, and then his vertical ability, getting up being defensively. Like, DeAndre Jordan, he can't play defense. He literally, like, cannot play defense. And, you know, he had a block the other night. It's like, that's great. Um, but a block doesn't make up for the other, like, you know, 75% of things that he's a step behind on uh, yeah. from a defensive. Act. Like, it's just so bad watching him play. Like, you know, most teams in the NBA switch. Yeah. Most teams do. Uh, the Sixers don't normally, uh, mostly because they have Embiid as an anchor. Um, but like even Doc mentioned it at the beginning when James Harden first got traded here, he was like, James likes to switch. Um, we don't really switch here. But when DeAndre Jordan's on the court, you literally can't. And then you're just asking for, you know, rolls. You're asking for lobs. You're asking for guys getting, you know, downhill onto DeAndre Jordan as a two-on-one. Like, it's just going to that type of defensive, defensive like, his capability just leads to bad things happening. Uh, even yeah. if it's not a direct score on him, it's, you know, a collapse, a kick, a shot. It's just very bad. And there's times where the Sixers defense just looks terrible uh, without him beat on the floor. And that's just, you know, that was kind of their bread and butter before. And it's, it's really... Um, it's disappointing to see it go the opposite way at times. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, schematically looking at like what they're doing defensively is they're going to get murdered in the postseason, which with the amount of just drop coverage they run and just the like it's so structured in what they do defensively, which I understand is like a like you obviously need to have your identity, but like teams know they're just walking into mid-range jumpers or open three-pointers if they do the pick and roll with Embiid right and I understand like you want Embiid as the anchor the guy around the basket but in playoffs like you just can't give teams those shots which is pretty much what's happening and it's being exploited on a pretty much nightly basis in Sixers game and just like they get it to space they run the two-man game and pick their best like whoever it is like the Nets game it was uh Curry and Durant that were walking into these constantly and I mean pick your poison for whatever team it is and who's the guy doing it. But it's the same concept every time, just walking into that. And Embiid is going to have to step up and be able to guard on the perimeter in the postseason because we just have to – you you were way better off in, in terms of odds. Like if this is Harden and Embiid specifically, your chances are better of Embiid on a guard on the perimeter and Harden banging in the post rather than just giving him the shot, which is kind of the result of what's happening right now. And that's once again like something I'm not seeing any urgency to to change up right now. Yeah, uh, it doesn't matter till April. 
So yeah. we got about, about two weeks until we need to start figuring some things out. Um, I don't know, man. It's just, I don't know. I'm trying not to be pessimistic because they have played well. They're, what, 7-2 and two in Harden's games uh, since being here. Um, they've won, you know, seven out of their last 10. The three have really stuck out. <laughs> I yeah. think that's the problem is the three that they have lost. As it always um, does. It just, like, makes your stomach turn. And then the two that they, like, the game against the Cavs, I know a lot of people had a problem with it. Um, they could have played better. They were stupid. They made stupid mistakes, like, down the stretch. And, they just make dumb, dumb mistakes. Yeah, the, real quick, the third quarter of that game, the Sixers scored 13 yep. points. They were outscored 31 to 13 in the third quarter. And this was a game, it, it, we talked a ton about this last pod, so I don't want to dive into it again, but it's just like we don't get 48 straight minutes of competing on the court. It just doesn't yeah. happen every night. And it's a lot of times at the beginning, like we see them coming out flat on a regular basis. This time it was right after halftime. Like they looked good at the start of that Cavs game. They came out strong. Excellent second quarter too. They had 72 points in the first half, which was like, I, I'm pretty sure that was their season high or tied their yeah. season high for that. And then to just drop 13 in the third and allow the Cavs to fully come back in that game. And it was even one of those, like, again, I'm, I'm, I never bet against the Sixers, but I was sitting there watching be like looking at the live line at like plus nine and a half plus 10 and a half. And I'm just like, this a hundred percent becomes a game again. Like there's no way it's not, it's the same thing with this team every single time. So it's like, I don't know. It's frustrating that that can't be a part of this team's identity either. And it certainly has kind of become it already. It's been the the issue yeah. uh, for this team. And it's something that will literally haunt me uh, to the day I die. Watch like that series last year has, I think, scarred all of us. Um, you talk, I mean, just that when you were talking about playing drop coverage, uh, yeah. I, my heart drops into my stomach uh, watching Trey Young shoot wide open floaters or lobbing at the John Collins. Like that's the kryptonite of this team right now. Um, and they did have a, an elite perimeter defender at the time. Um, and it, it's just I don't know. Too many like reoccurring issues. I I would like to. I think we're gonna have to have a serious conversation about uh, the leadership, the the coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do. I do want to say. I think it. Like I do think Doc is coaching for his job in some regards this year. Like I I don't think playoffs, he has yes. in the playoffs one hundred percent. I don't think he necessarily has like the free pass and the long leash that I think it kind of is perceived. It definitely seems like it's perceived by him to be the case. But like. If this is a, a, another like second round exit or a disappointing playoff performance, I can't see how his job wouldn't be in jeopardy. Which I, I, Doc should be aware of that. I don't th- like. I think there's there's a way I look at it. I think if it's disappointing, like last yeah. year was disappointing. I mean, obviously for a lot of reasons, um, it was actually it was more devastating than it was disappointing. Um, but if you go out with like, I don't know. I think back to the, the Raptors series, and as much as that sucked like to the core was like the worst thing ever they played the eventual champions to seven games and lost in the last second like Mm -hmm. you can kind of look back at that and hang your hat on it was a good series you know it nothing it didn't necessarily go the way you wanted it to and could you have won probably um but it wasn't like the worst you know what i mean like last year was like you had these expectations you're a really good team you have superstars and you pissed your pants against a, a team that nobody even thought twice about uh, going into the playoffs. This Eastern conference is deep. There's yeah. a lot of really good teams, even down, down the stretch. I saw a Cleveland writer say that they want the Sixers in, in the playoffs. And I was laughing because genuinely, I think the Sixers would keep like kick their ass. Um, Cause they yeah. played, 
they played not very well the other night and still beat them. Uh, I know they didn't have Jared Allen, and Jared Allen is good. Very don't get good, me yeah. wrong. Uh, but I think the Sixers beat their ass uh, genuinely if they play them in a series. But I'm not that confident against like the other five teams above them. Yeah, no, I I would say I think it's pretty likely that just about anybody they draw first round is going to be a, a tougher team than the Hawks were last season, which is pretty scary when you think about it like that. And especially when you talk about being devastating, the whole mindset last year was to get the one seed so we could coast right through to the conference finals. So we didn't have to play the Bucks and the Nets. We would just have to play the winner. And then to not even get to that point to like, <laughs> it's incredibly frustrating. And obviously we're putting up too much negativity because yeah. Sixers are still third in the East. We're still looking all right. But uh, I mean, there are some major concerns that I think are showing face more than I expected them to. Yeah, so let's let's turn the energy around. It's a Friday. Yeah, we're feeling good. You know, we're go- we're gonna flip it up here. So one one guy I want to talk about is Tobias Harris. Um, I want to show a little bit of love. We've been very critical of him. Um, I thought he played well again the other night. He's changed the way he's played. Like, there's a fundamental change. You can see it uh, in the way that he's approaching. There's still sometimes too many of the post ups. Uh, I catch myself out loud saying like, no, 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 no. Me too. Uh, because I know he's, you see him, he drives in, it gets cut off, he turns his back, and I'm like, no, <laughs> pass, just pass it out. It'll come back, I promise. Um, but catching and shooting from three, taking six three-pointers the other night, making three, um, attacking downhill. He made de- some decent plays, uh, and defensively, again, it's the rebounding that bothers me uh, yeah. on the other end. I think that's something that just like, he's just not that very, like, he's not very good at it. Um, but what have you seen from Tobias as a positive, from a positive standpoint, you know, in his, in his changing role, how has he adapted? Yeah, I agree that it's been like a conscious change, like something he's really trying to fit in, which he deserves credit for that. Like, it's not the easiest yeah. thing to do. His role has drastically changed in this offense and he's trying to find a way to make the pieces fit as best they can. The role he's being asked to play is not who he naturally is as a player. And he spoke pretty openly about that in his presser is kind of, talking about his fit and how everybody was so worried for like him knowing it would come. But I mean, if he can just do that job, it helps this team tremendously. And I guess there is an aspect of like asking him to do the simplistic version of his game and knowing that there's a little more in the bag or in the back that hopefully doesn't ever need to be busted out. But you know, if there <laughs> is that occasion for a, a Toby to go one-on-one or ISO, if he's really feeling himself with the bench unit or whatever, that's something to have. And I mean, as much as we brush aside like his importance looking at like the lack of depth on this bench like the scoring has to come from somewhere and asking the the top four guys to combine for 80 point or for 100 points on every game is is a lot (laughs) but like that's kind of what needs to happen for this team and maybe not to that extreme but they're they all have to be producing for the Sixers offense to like run the right way and Toby's still a vital part of that yeah, I mean, the good thing about this is, and something I will give Doc credit for, is that he has been doing a better job of staggering. Yeah, um, sure. And when you're thinking about it, you know, the bench production, there's not a lot of bench points coming from them. Um, and they just haven't shot well. Like, it just seems like they haven't shot well. George, obviously, um, is a much better shooter than he's shown over the last, like, three games or so. Danny Green uh, is a much better shooter than he's shown over the last couple games. It's uh, the stuff that I think, you know, is going to change. Uh, and start turning into the correct direction. Um, But, like, when you think about it, these guys aren't, like, one of Harden and Bede, Maxi and Harris are going to be on the floor essentially at all times. Um, So, naturally, those guys become the focal point of whatever offensive set is happening. So, if if Harris is on the floor and he's surrounded by four bench players, which, like, is the worst-case scenario 
mm-hmm. uh, from all the options. Like I think, you know, it's in a vacuum. It looks really bad with the bench not being able to score. Um, and they, it would be helpful if they could, you know, hit some shots, especially George, obviously, because he is the biggest role out of all those guys and DG. Um, yeah. But like these guys, like you said, like Harris is going to be in there. He's sometimes going to be asked to be a little bit more of a focal point offensively when he's surrounded by the bench unit. So guys like, you know, the rest of the guys aren't going to get as many opportunities. Um, I wanted to ask you, because this is something that I've seen a lot and something that we talked about a lot this season. Um, and Maxi played great the other night and, you know, hit a huge shot, yeah. which, oh, before I even ask this, did you saw the, the Harden and him after he hit that shot, they were like kind of talking yeah. about something. And then, I mean, I made nothing of it. It seemed like he was telling him what to do, was telling him something, and then they dapped up and it was fine. But a lot of people were a little bit upset about that. Yeah, I saw that as well. To me, it's an it's a no deal. That's a it, I I would even go as far to say it's a positive that they're working through things, yeah. communicating, and I as long as like there's no hard feelings, there's no offense, which I think both those guys are pretty like business first and can take kind of the like I guess just bluntness of the conversation. Yeah. Uh, I I see no big deal about it, and I honestly. I like that there's learning, that there's teaching. Hard Maxi, as great as he is, is like as impactful as, he, as he's been already. He still has a ton to learn, so it's cool that Harden's like trying to teach him, trying to work with him, and that's the only way that this things are going to get better is if everybody continues to communicate and talk about what they expect and what they want. So I have no issue with it whatsoever. Yeah, totally agreed. Another thing, like Harden took over the huddle at one point. It was actually funny. Uh, someone made a joke about Harden taking Doc's job because uh, he started to walk over and Harden had already had all five of the starters in a huddle and was like telling them stuff. He looks like he's really taking the role as a leader and a vocal leader. And I think we saw a lot, especially in the Cavs game, especially early, uh, a lot of great communication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's you know where they're going to grow as a team. The, what I was going to say, what, what I was, was going to ask um, is, have you given any thought to, I'm not saying that this is the correct thing to do or what I would want to do, but have you given any thought to switching up the starting lineup at all? Yeah, I just don't know what you do. Like Danny Green is a guy you can throw in there, but I don't love that either. I, I, I'll say I like the aspect of Matisse coming off the bench I think is the most appealing part to me and I, I've seen the the whispers of like Maxi is a six-man kind of conversation I don't love that I mean I get the idea behind like him being a spark there's obviously like no scoring on the bench right now but at the end of the day like you, you have to play your best players and yeah. I, I think you're leaving yourself short by like I, I don't think the staggering would make as enough of an impact that it's worth it in my mind I'm I'm more on board with benching Matisse for either Niang I, I wouldn't mind giving Niang a, a chance with the starters right off the rip and i just like having matisse as like a off the bench like game changing throw in kind of impact player because while it's very different than a traditional bench player because he's the defensive emphasis and we've called him a reverse six man a ton of times i just like the aspect of like if a a guy's getting it going you can just be like all right matisse go chase him around for a couple minutes kind of thing and i've also matisse needs to chill on the fouls big time too is that that's always been yeah, jump shooters especially. That's always kind of been the story with him. But of late, I've, there's a lot of heavy hand checks and hacks that just like you just can't be get, racking up fouls like that. Because if if there are there, it's very unique on it's a very game to game for how much the Sixers will need him to play. But on the games where they need him for 35 plus minutes, like that just can't happen. But it's just I feel like it's discipline. He does a very good job, um, and I don't. It seems like he's never content with contesting. Right, he's always uh, he got to be... the block or he mm-hmm. wants to steal. Uh, sometimes it's okay to 
just make life hard for that offensive player. Um, this team jumps too much, just yeah. too all together. All of them jump on pump fakes so much. Um, I mean, maybe it's it was a game to game basis, but Wednesday night against the Cavs, it was all they did, man. I I was jumping off off my seat. Stop jumping, stop jumping, yeah. stop jumping. Like especially in the paint, Joel does it too. Like you're seven foot, your hands basically at the rim already. When you got both of your hands up, like just make it difficult. If he makes it, he makes it. You move on. Uh, it's better than fouling him and giving him an AM one. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Um, I've seen a lot of people, not a lot of people. I've seen a few things about moving Maxi to the bench, and I, I get it. I guess um, you know he definitely doesn't deserve to go to the bench in terms of his play. Um, and it's not like he would be getting benched. It would just be like switching the minutes. moving his production to yeah like just staggering the minutes a little bit which i again i get but with the way that they're doing it right now i you know i don't think it's it would change that much um but i don't know if it's uh, i like if you wanted to throw niang in or if you want to throw danny green in uh just to space the floor i don't know um yeah. but uh, again it's something that they can play with a lot something they can figure out um going forward but i don't think doc's gonna change that much um and i think matisse is good to kind of like there's a balancing effect with Matisse, you know, um, he brings a really good aspect, defensive aspect uh, to that starting lineup, which they don't necessarily have um, if he's not in the lineup mm-hmm. to move off of this a little bit. Um, Joel Embiid appeared on Draymond Green's podcast, which let me talk about Draymond really quick. A guy that I think a lot of people used to hate and I definitely used to hate um, during, especially during their success, their stretch of time where they were really successful. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite voices in in sports right now uh i think he does a really great job of i mean obviously he's never been afraid to speak his mind yeah um he's very honest but i think he's just very he's very real and i think that when he starts transitioning into really being an analyst uh and being involved full-time in the media which he's going to do uh, i think it's going to be really great for the game because it's no bullshit him and jj reddick both um they should have a show they should be the only people talking like they're really actually analyzing the game giving great information and being real. And like, I thought that was a great example with Embiid during this pod. Uh, so what'd you take away from, from that episode? Yeah. And Draymond, a uh, incredibly high IQ basketball yes. mind for, uh, and has been throughout his entire career as well. Uh, my, my biggest takeaway, I mean, we kind of talked about this right before the show, but it's very cool to just see Joel Embiid just in the setting where he's more relaxed, kind of all any interactions that like, I've had or that we ever see with him is he's so like buttoned up and media friendly and has his answers. And Embiid is such an intelligent guy that it always impresses me uh, coming away from interviews with him, just how smart he is as a, as a yeah. human being, uh, both basketball wise and just outside of that. And uh, it was very cool to see him relax, him and Draymond just kind of chopping it up. I would also be pro Draymond Green and Joel Embiid show, which they kind of played with in the, in the interview as well. Uh, it's so cool to me. I guess we don't see the like universal respect that Embiid gets all the time amongst like the players specifically. Like there was a moment in there where Draymond mentioned like as much as we talk about like everybody being stars, there really is a limited amount. He said he put the number at ten and mentioned Joel specifically in that conversation in that list. And this is coming from a guy who's plays plays with Steph Curry, has played with Kevin Durant, is up there with like the the best of the best in terms of the company he's played with, players he's played against guards on defense it was cool to see them talk shit with each other a little bit too i i really did enjoy watching that and i agree with everything you said about draymond as well yeah i loved it um i listened to the the second half of it this morning and like you said impressed by just joel Embiid's his recall 
talking yeah. about certain events, talking about things. He clearly remembers shit, and it it, it definitely holds you know well in his head. Um, I mean, it always impresses me, and you know, takes me back when he talks about his journey to the NBA and the things that he went through, and you know, the ups and downs, especially early on in his career. He's so goddamn funny. I yeah. don't even think it's intentional most of the time, but he was talking about um, like the top, the NBA 75, they were both talking about it. And he was like, I see these guys dribble with one hand and they're telling me they're better than me. He's like, no, no way. Uh, which is funny, hilarious. Um, but yeah, I mean, talking about the way that him and Drew Hanlon attacked, uh, you know, improving his game and expanding his game saying, you know, obviously I took a lot from Akeem Olajuwon, but once I started struggling in the playoffs, I realized I had to be different. Uh, so yeah. I started watching Kobe and KD and, Michael Jordan and all these guys like I, I had to start adding um and he also like just gave Hanlon a ton of credit he was like we he said we which the entire awesome. time which it, like it just speaks to who he is um I, I think just as a person to give so much credit to someone that's not playing like someone who's not him um obviously he's been training with Hanlon for a while now uh but yeah I thought it was great it's it's always nice to hear Embiid um just like take the guard off and, yeah. and talk about the game and you know talk about wanting to be the mvp and wanting to win defensive player of the year and uh you know both of them kind of giving each other the flowers that they both deserve because again draymond's like a, a very hated player um and as much yeah. as i understand why people don't like him i think once you get into it i think draymond is you know i, I think he's a very very important voice in the nba and i hope let people realize that you know sooner rather than later yeah, I also am not really sure what the, the temperature is on Embiid's kind of, I guess, national, like, well-likeness or how much. Like, I can't yeah. tell the scale on, like, nationally how many people. Because there's obviously the free throw critiques and the flopping critiques, which I understand and we watch. But, they're, <laughs> like, I, I, I'm, I just can't quite get a, a sense on what the, the national take on him as far as, like, if he's liked or not as a player, which I could, could see both ways. I really, do, unfortunately, don't think that people like him very much, yeah. and I think it's, I think it's more based on his reputation than it is him. who he is. I think, like the crying meme, um, yeah. the bullshit he used to do. They talked about like his, the way that he used to Twitter. be on Twitter and Instagram and everything. Um, I think that that kind of stuff. Which again, I used to say like I used to be like, yeah, if if Embiid played for the Celtics, I'd hate his guts. I mean, to be, you know, to be fair, I hate everyone on the Celtics so it's one thing but like I don't know I understand people not liking him he's kind of a he's a controversial player uh yeah. not even a, you know not even really anymore because of himself just because of his reputation but again I think it's impossible to deny uh yeah. you know his capabilities on the court which that's what Draymond was saying like it was it was just really nice to see both of them like pass off respect to each other especially from Draymond because again he's not a he's not gonna bullshit so Definitely. And uh, another cool, like, I know we kind of uh, try to appreciate Embiid a lot and are a little over the top with it already, but yeah. I just would like to say, like, when them, them putting it into perspective, like his journey to the NBA and even when he first got, I, I also love how much, how all the flowers he gave to Sam Hinkie and the, the shout yeah. out, the cool behind the scenes, how people were telling him not to go by the process and stuff. And he's like, I don't care. I yeah. That man trusted me, had faith in me. So very cool to see that still yeah. live on. And then when he's talking about the the three years he was out, play, he played 31 games in his first three years in the NBA, nothing his first two. And it's just like, think about how often like that guy, the big man, like 
think about how how wrong this could have gone or just in how many how likely it is that he's not in the MVP caliber yeah. or in the top pretty much maximizing absolutely maximizing on his potential that just doesn't happen that often like there's yeah. so many times where things go wrong where the injuries catch up where there isn't the development because at the end of the day like while Embiid was very impactful at Kansas he is a completely different player than he was in college and it the the draft pick itself was an investment on like a I believe that he can get there and that like he has this potential and the fact that he's reaching it and we're seeing it, it's just so crazy and so awesome because it really is like there, it was far from a guarantee that it would be that way. Yeah, man. And from the way that they were talking, I don't think he sees an end soon. I I think he plans on playing uh, for a while. He was talking about how he wants multiple MVPs and multiple defensive player of the year and multiple championships. So, you know, I hope again, and they were also talking about how uh, last year he missed 20 games and didn't win the MVP basically because he didn't play enough games. And Draymond was like, most guys don't play more than 70 games anyway. So you miss like eight more than the average. He's like, I don't know how they didn't give it to you last year. Um, but they were just talking about how it's more of his, again, his reputation of, you know, an injury prone player. Right. Um, he's like, I haven't been injured in three years. Like actually missed a lot of games because of injury in like three years. Um, so, I mean, it makes... Again, it's something that we've all been concerned about and rightfully so concerned about. Um, but also it seems like part of the past. And as he's, you know, worked on his body and and done, you know, the required work to get there, it's been, you know, obviously it's helped him a lot and he's enjoying the fruits of that labor as we speak. So uh to move forward here, we're gonna wrap it up a little early, but we got to, you know, go through this this final part of the schedule. The Sixers have 14 games, including tonight against the Mavericks. Um, they're currently third in the East. It's going to come down to the wire. It's a, there's not there's not a lot of space between these top you know couple seeds here. Uh, and, what is your prediction for the season or the rest yeah, of the season? And a couple very like important games in terms of yeah. seeding come up. They play the Heat on March 21st. Uh, then they head out west. They have the trip with Lakers, Clippers, Suns, which isn't an easy trip. Then back home to play the Bucks, which that one will be a very big game in terms of seeding. And then uh, the Cavs again. Uh, the Raptors twice like these are all games that are going to matter in the, the scheme of things. I, I, I know there's like the rep of the, the Sixers are dodging the Nets by trying to stay out of the one and two seed. I, I don't think that's the case. But what I will say is it's much more important to make sure that they're on the same page while rested heading the postseason. I absolutely want to toss up a couple of these games. You can call it like chalking it up as a loss, but you have to make sure Embiid is rested and I, I get like the Embiid wants to play every single game. And I think a lot of that is because of kind of what we just talked about, how him kind of just breaking the narrative of him being an injury prone or having to rest or all that. Like if you take away the the co- the stretch where he had COVID, he'd be on pace for uh, nearly like upper 70s of games this year, which is yeah. pretty absurd. And I mean, you just have to – you can see the legs look a little more tired than they did earlier on in the year with him specifically. Uh, they have a couple more – they have two more back-to-backs, which is also brutal. I, I would rest him on one out of the two in both of those. Uh, I, I think that's where my mind says that. I, I guess in in some respect I don't care that much how these games go. Um, and not that I don't care. I obviously want the best, but the priority needs to be on making sure we're rested and ready for playoffs. Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at those games, he should he should take off against one of those teams in the West. Um, he yeah. should, you know, like you said in the back to backs, it's it's you know definitely definitely more important, especially for him, um, because I th- it's so he's such he's so effective even when he's 
you know, it looks like he's working a little bit slower uh, or not like feeling as spry. But there's a clear, clear difference when he comes in energized and feels fresh. Um, and I think having that to start the playoffs would just be such a boost. Like, you know, instead of trying to get there in between series or, you know, what, you know what I mean? So I agree with you. I think Embiid's health and his, you know, I don't want to say like preparedness going into the playoffs, but just like his physical uh, well-being is definitely most important. And like we said, James Harden needs these days as well. Um, he's already rested a couple of times. So he's going to be important as well. You got guys like Max, you can play a ton of minutes. Harris has proved he can play a ton of minutes. Um, and again, I think if you, if you let, um, you know, if you let Embiid rest, you can see what Bassey looks like with Harden. Uh, Cause you have no other option. You know what I mean? I think that could be a good excuse uh, for them to do something like that uh, or, you know, play somebody else. So I don't know. Like you said, I think it's important. It looks like he's, does, have you seen anything yet for tonight? He's listed as questionable, but same tags yeah, as Wednesday. That. So I would, I would think he suits up today. The looking, the next back to back is Sunday Monday. So they'll play tonight, rest tomorrow, and then Sunday Monday against the Raptors in the Heat. You got to sit him one of those two, I think for sure. Uh, and Harden as well. There's still the hamstring concerns. I mean, last year, looking back at last year's playoffs, he literally went through that first net series with one hamstring and like could barely even run out there and was playing and. Yeah. Uh, we saw him. He took the the one game off for like the planned maintenance. I think there's probably going to be a couple more of those coming up as well. And it sucks that that's kind of like how the NBA goes, but that's how the NBA goes, and the Sixers must yeah. do the same thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that's the priority. They it's it's a very difficult balance right now they have between Harden and Embiid, like needing to play more together so they can continue to like learn how to play together, and still like needing to rest them. So it's not the easiest thing right now, but they got to figure out how to do both. Yeah, I also wouldn't mind, though, like with the way that Harden, it just seems like he's kind of uh, not hesitant, but it looked, it, I mean, playmaking has become obviously his main priority, which is a good thing. Right? He's averaging over 10 assists a game, and he could be more if, if guys would stop missing shots. But um, like, I think a night or two without him beat on the floor and letting Harden, you know, you okay, you, you got to score tonight. It would be nice to see him take 20 shots. Like, I don't care. Go get yours. Um, because again, he has it in him and it would be nice for him to kind of find that rhythm again. Um, right. so as much as it would suck for Embiid to miss games, there's silver linings. Um, and, and it's, you know, sometimes they're necessary. If Harden can play a night, get back into rhythm, feel it out. Like the jumpers just look short. Things yeah. just look off. It looks like when he misses, the confidence goes away, which I'm sure it doesn't. He's been doing this for a decade plus. So like, obviously he's confident in his ability, but it would be nice to see him, you know, lead offensively as a scorer, um, a night or two going into the playoffs so we know that's there he's you know he feels that again so i think there's there could be some good things to come out of this but aside from that you have anything else yeah no uh, we'll touch on it more next time but there's got to be some sort of mid-range game out of harden too that's absolutely killing me true true but, yeah, yeah. So that, that can be a, a good discussion uh looking into next week so the sixers will miss we'll talk about tonight sunday and monday going into tuesday when, next time we pod so make sure you you know stay tuned for that you can check out sean's twitter at sean underscore bernard one Follow me at jsbrain17. Follow the pod at Pixwap Pod. Check out the YouTube. Get the podcast wherever you get yours, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. Make sure you check out BetUS, and we'll talk to you guys next week.